Niven. Appreciate uh, Bob's work on this. Bob, thank you very much. And uh, I have to tell you, I was having a conversation with my fifth grader this week. He announced to me that he doesn't want to play the saxophone anymore, and he wants to change to the drums because he can't use a saxophone during church. So, Mr. Hall, thank you very much for uh, giving me an object lesson to share with my son. He'll be attending second service. He doesn't know that yet, but he will be there. Hey, we are diving uh, you know, headlong into our 90-day uh, biblical adventure, B90X we're calling it. And after today, today is day 35. If you are reading along with me, you have five weeks complete. And uh, we're getting very, very close to the halfway mark. Uh, just to qu- quickly review with you where we've been, week one was the books of Genesis and Ed- Exodus. Week two, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Week three, we looked at Joshua, Judges, Ruth, and started First Samuel. Week four, Second Samuel, and the books of First and Second Kings. And this last week, we read through the books of First and Second Chronicles. The book of Ezra was yesterday. The book of Nehemiah is today. Next week, what lies ahead for week six? Well, we're going to finish the book of Nehemiah, dive into the book of Esther, the book of Job, and we'll read the first third of the book of the Psalms. And really, the big theme on this next week is going to be the return of God's people from exile, taking back the promised land. And I can't wait till next Sunday. I'm going to be preaching on Esther, and uh, Esther is one of the underpreached and undertaught books of the Bible in many ways. But I love the fact that Esther was a person that God used, um, really took her from just very, very much anonymity to the palace, and she was able to use this position that the Lord gave her to make a huge difference for God's people. And I can't wait for next Sunday's message. I hope that you'll, you'll spread the word as well. And we want to let you know the sermons are up and running online. Adam tries to get them up every week by uh, noon on Monday. We also have the blog, and I know many of you are following along with the blog and chiming in. Uh, it, it's really been a blessing up to this point. Well, last week we were in 2 Samuel 11. Today we're going to be in 2 Chronicles 22, 23, and 24. And I want to kind of connect the dots for you from 2 Samuel 11 to uh, 2 Chronicles 22 through 24. Last week we looked at David. David's reign comes to an end. He passes the torch to his son Solomon. Solomon reigns and extends Israel to greatness. During the reign of Solomon, Israel reached its peak geographically. They never had control over more land than they had during the reign of Solomon. Financially, they were blessed unlike any other nation during that time. Israel was the apple of the eye in many ways during that time. And we read about Solomon the last two weeks in the books of 1 Kings and then in 1 Chronicles and the beginning part of 2 Chronicles. Now that said, when Solomon's reign comes to an end in 930 B.C., um, it is the peak of Israel's existence, and it's all downhill from there. And what ends up happening is there's a huge division that takes place. The northern tribes, the ten northern tribes, uh, uh, separate from Judah and Benjamin. And you have the nation of Israel, that's the north, and the nation of Judah, that's the south. And you see many, many leaders who do evil in the eyes of the Lord. Almost every king of Israel, the northern kingdom, does evil in the eyes of the Lord. Now the kings of Judah, kind of a mixed bag. Some are good, some are evil. 
But what happens is there is a steady decline that is taking place over time. It's a difficult, difficult time in the life of God's people. And yet the reason that it's so difficult is because the sins they keep committing, the evil they keep doing, they're bringing this oppression on themselves. And that gets us to Second Chronicles chapter 22. Well, I want to start today with a fact. This is a fact of life. It's not how you begin, it's how you finish. And said another way, finishing well is not as easy as it would seem. Finishing well is not as easy as it would seem. How many of you remember the presidency of Richard Nixon? Anybody remember the presidency of Richard Nixon? How many of you would say he just had maybe a phenomenal presidency, one of the great presidents in our country's history? Any, anyone? Most of, some of us might, okay, but most people would say not the case. Why is that? It's because of how he finished his presidency. We forget that he was elected twice by landslide election wins. Landslides. The 72 election is one of the great blowouts in the history of elections, not just in the U.S., but worldwide. But it's how he finished that we remember. Many of us remember that scene when he had resigned on the heels of being impeached. He did the the peace sign on his way out, whatever that was, and he got in the helicopter and, and he rode off into history. And when I look at Richard Nixon's presidency, I'm reminded, reminded, finishing well is not as easy as it would seem. How many of you remember the Illinois-Arizona basketball game from March of 2005? Anybody? We've got to have some good news in Illini land. So let's reminisce and let's think back to a, a better time, okay? For that basketball game, for the first 36 minutes of that game, Arizona was by far the best team on the court that day. They were uh, an underdog. Very few people thought they could win. But for 36 minutes, they were playing the game of their year. But how do we remember that game? We remember that game as one of the greatest comeback victories in the history of basketball because Arizona didn't finish well. Finishing well is not as easy as it would seem. We're going to study one of the kings of Judah real quickly this morning. And the life lesson that I want you to take from King Joaz is that finishing well is not as easy as it would seem. So let's dive right in. 2 Chronicles chapter 22. I need to give you a little background so you understand some of the people. I know Eric read some of our text for us today. There was a king of Judah by the name of Jehoram. And he walked in the ways of the evil king Ahab of Israel. Translation, he was a bad guy who did bad things, okay? You you wouldn't think that one of the kings of Judah would fit that description, but that's exactly who King Jehoram was. And the Lord finally had enough with King Jehoram. And so he decided, I'm moving him out. And here's what the Lord did to him. This is actually in the Bible. It said that he afflicted him with an incurable disease of the bowels. Now, I'm not going to say any more than that, but that's got to hurt. That's got to be painful. There's actually a very grotesque ending to his life that I won't read for you. But if you're into that kind of thing, go to 2 Chronicles chapter 22, and you won't believe what this incurable disease of the bowels did to him. And his reign comes to an end. Well, he had a son. His son's name was Ahaziah. 
And Ahaziah was just like his dad. He was a bad guy who did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He walked in the ways of King Ahab, and he only reigned for one year. For one year he reigned, and the Lord was so tired of his act, he sent him packing as well. And instead of passing the torch to one of his sons, you had sort of a coup that takes place. Jehoram's wife, Athaliah, grandma, takes the throne. And you remember what she does? She does something that seems incomprehensible for us today. She goes out and she destroys every single heir to the throne that is living. Translation, she is killing her grandsons, one after another, after another. And she's not doing it herself, but people under her control are killed. Can you imagine a grandmother doing that to her grandson? Well, that's exactly what is taking place as we get to our account that we're going to read today. And Act 1 of our account today is this. Joash finds himself on the throne only because of the intervention of others. Let's read the text together, Second Chronicles 22, beginning with verse 10. It says, When Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she proceeded to destroy the whole royal family of the house of Judah. But Jehoshaphat, the daughter of King Jehoram, took Joash, son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the royal princes who were about to be murdered and put him and his nurse in a bedroom. Because Jehoshaphat, the daughter of King Jehoram, and the wife of the priest Jehoiada, was Ahaziah's sister, she hid the child from Athaliah so she could not kill him. He remained hidden with them at the temple of God, catch this, for six years while Athaliah ruled the land. That's amazing to me. And, and the truth of this passage is this, through love and courage of people like Jehoshaphat and Jehoiada, Joash avoids death by grandmother and ascends to the throne. How's he ascend to the throne? We'll go to chapter 23. The first verse says, in the seventh year, Jehoiada showed his strength. And then jump down to verse 11. It says, Jehoiada and his sons brought out the king's son, that's Joash, put the crown on him, presented him with a copy of the covenant, and proclaimed him as king. And they anointed him, and they shouted, Long live the king. Finally, after six and a half years, the rightful heir is on the throne and is taking control. Joash, the boy, has become king. Well, let's look at Athaliah's response. Verse 12, it says, When Athaliah heard the noise of the people running and cheering the king, she went to them at the temple of the Lord. She looked, and there was the king standing by his pillar at the entrance. The officers and the trumpeteers were beside the king, and all the people of the land were rejoicing and blowing trumpets. And singers with musical instruments were leading the praises. And then Athaliah tore her robes and what she shouted. Treason! Treason! And Jehoiada the priest rises up and he calls on the military to take this evil grandmother and take her to the gate and put her to death. And the first thing that I want you to see here is that Joash is placed on the throne really by events he had nothing to do with. He really had no business being on the throne. If it had been left up to him, he would have been dead. 
But there were people put in his life that allowed him to rightfully take the throne that was his. And so the life lesson, I want to give us a couple life lessons today. The life lesson is this. So many of us are just like Joaz. We're blessed by the decisions and the influence of others. We need to take time and be thankful. I want you to think right now, whether you're 7, 27, or 77, I want you to think right now about people that helped influence your life in a positive way and helped you get to where you were. Maybe you had little or no control over the actions that they took. I I was thinking about that myself. And I I am so thankful. Many of you know that I'm adopted. I am so thankful that I was placed at at two days old with Christian parents who imparted upon me a spiritual legacy. I, I could have went anywhere. I could have been placed in any home. I'm so thankful that the re- one of the reasons I'm standing here today, one of the reasons I'm able to serve in this ministry today is because by God's providential hand, I was blessed with Christian adoptive parents. I, I think of some of the early influencers in my adult life, people like Tom Ewald, Lynn Laughlin, Dan Clymer, spiritual mentors who helped me grow in Christ and better understand ministry in many ways. I'm thankful for some of the ministers that I've worked alongside of that were older than me and wiser than me. They were mentors to me. People like Terry Maurer, Mark Weber, Kent Hickerson. People who assisted me and helped me. When I needed to be calmed down a little bit, they said, calm down. When I needed to be encouraged, they patted me on the back. When I needed to be uh, humbled a little bit, they kicked me in the rear. People that helped me along the way. And all of us have that story. And so I challenge you today, as we read about King Joaz, take time and remember people who helped influence you in in a positive way. The decisions that they made helped you get to where you are. And maybe this week, write a thank you note. Maybe this week, send an email, make a telephone call. Let your mentors, let your spiritual leaders know how thankful you are for the difference that they made in your life. Act 1, Joash finds himself on the throne only because of the intervention of others. Well, Act 2 is this. Joash makes the most of the opportunity. He starts strong. Um, Drawing on the wisdom of his mentor, who was his mentor? Jehoiada the priest. Joash undertakes the daunting task of rebuilding the temple, and he succeeds. Let's read the text together, the beginning of verse 24. It says, Joash was seven years old. When he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem for 40 years. Do we have any seven-year-olds in church today? Do we have anybody that's seven? They're probably all in junior church. Seven years old. Can you imagine that? When he became king. He reigned for 40 years. His mother's name was Zibia. She was from Beersheba. Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all the years of Jehoiada the priest. Let me read that again. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all the years of Jehoiada, the priest. What did he accomplish? Eric read it for us during his offering meditation day. By the way, thank you, Eric Heinrich, for an excellent offering meditation. Here's what Joash accomplished. After a hundred years of decline, King Joash restores and repairs and renews the temple of the Lord. Solomon's reign ended in 930. Joash takes the throne um, around 840, and around 822, a a lot of this restoration 
takes place. So what's the life lesson? What do, we, what do we draw from this? The life lesson is this, and I really believe this is true. The sky is the limit for us when we trust the Lord completely and follow the wisdom and advice of spiritual mentors. I, I can't read this text. And for time's sake this morning, we're not going to read all of chapter 24. But I can't read this text and miss the incredible impact that Joash's mentor, Jehoiada the priest, had upon his life. I'll say it like this. If there was no Jehoiada the priest, I'm pretty sure Joash would not have accomplished all of this good in the name of the Lord. That's speculation on my part. I believe that that is true. And and as I look at my life, and as I look at our lives, what, what are some ways that that is playing out in our life? I'll just tell you the reason we're doing this B90X This 90-day biblical adventure, some of you think, wow, our preacher's really awesome. He's really cutting edge. You know, I'm really not. I stole this idea from a friend in ministry who said it had a great impact on their church down in Decatur, Wayne Kent. He did it in the fall of 2008. He said it's the best three-month spiritual campaign we ever did. You ought to think about doing it. And, And, you know, a couple years later, here we are. And many of you have said to me, this is the greatest time in your life in terms of Bible knowledge and application on your life. I'm glad I have Jehoiada the priests in my life that give me ideas, give me encouragement. What about walk through the Bible? How many of you have done walk through the Bible? Some of you went to the Old Testament. We're going to do the New Testament. Um, I had no plan at all of doing that. And my friend Ken Rutledge sat me down. And he said, we had a walk through the Bible seminar during family camp, fall of 09. And he said, you would not believe the excitement that people gained for God's word. And so we sat down. We didn't want to do it all in one day. And we started brainstorming with Doug Maris. And we had 275 different people that went through at least one session of walk through the Bible last year. And I'm glad I have people like Ken Rutledge and Wayne Kent and others that are like a Jehoiada the priest for me in many ways. The sky is the limit when we trust the Lord completely and we follow the wisdom and the advice of spiritual leaders. Make sure you have a Jehoiada the priest in your life. Make sure there's someone that when you're facing a a, a crisis or when you're just going through life, you're just doing life, you have someone that's wiser than you. They're older than you. They've walked with the Lord longer than you. And you can bounce ideas and questions and suggestions off of them. Act 2, Joash makes the most of his opportunity. He starts strong. Well, Act 3 is really sad. It's really heartbreaking in many ways. And here's Act 3. Joash veers off the path of the Lord. Joash finishes poorly. And I don't know if you've caught it or not. I read it twice. But it said that Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all the days that what? Jehoiada the priest was alive. But midway through chapter 24, we see the death of Jehoiada the priest. And he had a great life. He lived to be 130. Boy, I hope I don't live to be 130. I can tell you that. But he lived to be 130. God blessed him. He dies. Everything should be awesome. But let's read beginning with verse 17 of Second Chronicles 24. It says, After the death of Jehoiada the priest, the officials of Judah came and paid homage to the king. And Joash listened to them. They abandoned the temple of the Lord 
the God of their fathers, and they worshipped Asherah poles and idols. Now because of their guilt, God's anger came upon Judah and Jerusalem. And although the Lord sent prophets to the people to bring them back to him, and though they testified against them, they would not listen. Here's the truth. After the death of his mentor, Joash really loses his spiritual bearings. He's a, he's a different person. He's a different man. He's a different king without his spiritual mentor, Jehoiada. It's so bad that Jehoiada has a son by the name of Zechariah. Zechariah comes to him and prophesies to Joash and to his counselors, what you're doing is wrong. It's time to repent. Stop the sin. And guess what Joash does to Zechariah? He has him put to death. And just in case you just woke up and you missed it, Jehoiada the priest is the only reason Joash was able to even become king. And yet he got so self-absorbed, so distracted by idol worship, by Asherah poles, by the advice of others, that he has put to death the son of his mentor. And I don't have this on the screen, but I want to read it for you. Listen to Zechariah's dying words. He says, May the Lord see this and call you into account. That's verse 22 of chapter 24. May the Lord see this and call you into account. And the rest of the story is this. Because Judah had forsaken the Lord, the God of their fathers, judgment was executed upon Joash, and he died and was buried in the city of David, but not in the tombs of the kings. And the life lesson really should be obvious for us today. Here it is. Be careful who you allow to influence your life, to have influence on your life. Your legacy is at stake. Now, if you're younger, say younger than me, I'm 41, you're probably thinking, who cares about my legacy? I've got a lot of years left. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. If you're older than me, 41, maybe that term legacy is starting to roll around in your mind. And so I just throw out this blanket statement, be careful who you allow to influence your life. Your legacy, your future is at stake. Joash should have went down in history as one of the great kings God raised up. And instead, his life ended so poorly, he wasn't even allowed to be buried with the rest of the kings of Israel and Judah. It reminds me that finishing well is not as easy as it would seem. Now maybe this message has hit close to home for you today. Maybe as I share the, the story of Joash, you're thinking of someone in your life who would appear to have faded spiritually. Maybe you have started to fade spiritually. Maybe you remember back to years ago or, or last year. Or maybe you were really on fire for the Lord. And now for whatever reason, for whatever distraction, you feel like you've faded somehow. And you connect with the story of King Joash. You understand the story of King Joash. And you're hoping that your end, or the person that you're thinking of their end, is not similar to that 
of King Joash. Well, there's a postscript to this story. And it's not in the book of Second Chronicles. It's not even in the Old Testament. It's in the New Testament. Here's the postscript. Jesus Christ brings hope for everyone, even those who are currently not in the process of finishing well. I love the concept of grace. I love the fact that Jesus died on the cross for me and for you to bring us hope we don't deserve. See, the truth is this. God's grace is the ultimate good news for everyone. God's grace is the ultimate good news for everyone. There's a verse of Scripture that I quote regularly here. I think it's one of the ten most important verses in all of the Bible. If you don't memorize Scripture, I'd encourage you to memorize this one. It's 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And the life lesson is really pretty simple. Turn your heart, turn your life toward Christ no matter what. If as I've preached this sermon today a person has popped in your mind or people have popped in your mind and you've thought, that's sad, that's tragic, I wish that wasn't the case. You know what? Do something about it. Be proactive. Let them know your heart breaks for them. Let them know they need to begin to light that spiritual fire again. Maybe at this church, maybe at another church. But they need to, to reconnect with the Lord. They need to finish well. Bottom line, catch this. Finish well. It will make all the difference in the world. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. And thank you for the chance to study your word. Um, a text that we probably have never preached at First Christian.